Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. It can be found on page 843 in your NIV Pew Bible. Jesus' teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, will, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I don't know if it's hot out there, but it's hot up here on the platform this morning. You know what's really good for when you're really hot? Is baked goods. Lots of baked goods that support a refugee family. That's my plug. My name's Greg, for those of you who don't know me. And if you can't remember my name, I'll, I have my name tag on. So, A few weeks ago, I had a gout flare-up. For those of you who don't, did someone cheer? <laughs> Come on. For those of you who don't know what gout is, it's a form of arthritis that occurs in your body when your body has high levels of something that's called uric acid in your blood. Crystals form in a joint and it causes inflammation and intense levels of pain. It used to be called rich man's disease because the things that cause high levels of uric acid were things that only rich people ate. Seafood, red meat, and alcohol. But I don't know why I get it, because I don't really eat seafood or red meat. <laughs> it's a mystery. I'm just kidding. All jokes aside, I actually don't drink a lot of alcohol either. 
It is a chronic condition, which means it occurs again and again. Uh, and as in my case, it also can be genetic, passed through family. Uh, my brother and I, it's one of the things, the glorious things my brother and I get to share. When it flares up, it can last for a few days and sometimes a few weeks. And when it does flare up, it is excruciatingly painful. So I had a flare-up two weekends ago. You may have noticed I was limping last Sunday and the Sunday before that. I get it in my big toe, so when it, and when it's really bad, every stoop, every stoop, every step is shooting uh, pain up through my body. So I went to my family doctor, and they gave me an anti-inflammatory, uh, uh, but it didn't really help. And then last Sunday night, or uh, 10 days into this, as I lay there in excruciating pain, it occurred to me I had never asked God to heal me, to take that pain away. And so I asked, I prayed in all earnest for God to grace me with relief from the pain. Would he take this away from me? And you know what? The next morning when I woke up, I was still in excruciating pain. <laughs> Is that what you were expecting? Possibly actually one of my worst days yet. I think that's when Monica, my wife, who's often the voice of God in the sense that she hears better from God than I do, she says, go to a walk-in and get better meds. <laughs> but why didn't God answer my prayer? Why doesn't God answer some of our, many of us, why doesn't God answer many of our prayers? Well, today I'm going to tell you, I have the answer and in seven easy steps, you too can get God to do your will. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Although that is how many of us have been taught to approach prayer, right? When we pray, we're kind of trying, we're telling God, we're kind of trying to force God to do what we want. Well, today I'm going to, obviously I'm just joking about giving you the, every answer. I would say if anything, I'm going to leave you with more questions. But hopefully there will be questions that help us to challenge some of the poor ways that we have been taught to think about asking for God for help in prayer. Uh, and hopefully that will help us to see God's love, God's listening ear. Uh, and that will hopefully challenge all of us and encourage us to ask even more from God. Now as we've been seeing through this series on prayer, prayer is so much more than simply asking for stuff, as it is, prayer is all about our relationship with God. But asking for stuff is a significant form of prayer uh, in Scripture and in the world. The form of prayer when we ask for things from God is often called petitionary prayer, or petition. Petition simply means to request something, it is asking appealing, sometimes begging and pleading. And there are different forms of prayers of petition. Uh, often it can be helpful to think of a distinction between petition as asking on behalf of ourselves and intercession as asking on behalf of others. Though I would say intercession is kind of under the umbrella of petition. Um, but for our purpose today, we're going to be focusing on petition is asking for ourselves because uh, bringing our own personal requests to God because uh, Sam is going to talk about intercession and praying on behalf of others uh, in a couple weeks. Prayer of petition is throughout the scriptures, both in practice and in teaching. In the passage of the Gospel of Luke that Susanna read for us, Jesus actually teaches us to petition God. 
To the question of why God seems not to answer prayers, sometimes people will say, well, you didn't ask properly. If you had prayed the right thing in the right way, God would have answered. Right? In verses 5 uh, to 9, Jesus asks the listener to put themselves in a story. Uh, he has these kind of two stories in this section that Susanna read for us. One is you're supposed to picture, and both of them actually start with the same turn of phrase. One is you're asking, Jesus is asking you to put yourself in the place of having a friend that you go to in the middle of the night. And the other one is to put yourself in the place of being a father and what would you give. And so uh, here in verse, uh, in this first one, five to nine, Jesus asked the listener to put themselves into this story. Picture yourself going to a friend's house Someone had come, a friend had come to your house needing a rest and refuge and food. And so you go to another friend's house because your, your fridge is empty. So in the middle of the night, you go to another friend's house. Um, and you're asking this other friend for some food. And Jesus says in Luke 11 verse 8, I, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The, the word for shameless audacity means to be persistent. And it's actually only, this is the only place in the Bible that we find it uh, in the New Testament. But in the Greek literature of the time that, this, that the New Testament was being written, this word was used to mean not only persistence, but it had a connotation actually of rudeness of not being worried about being ashamed by your asking, but just asking and persevering and pushing through. The word is ignoring convention. Now, I don't think God is asking us to be rude, per se, to God. But there is this uh, ignoring social conventions that's built into prayer. This is a parable about asking about being... It's a parable about asking without being worried about being nice, about being polite, prim and proper. But instead of having determination and boldness, God is not offended by our urgent and honest prayer. And God invites us through Christ to come with boldness and determination. And we don't have to use good flowery wording. We don't have to craft our prayers properly or with legalistic phrases in order for God to hear and respond. God doesn't even want that. God wants us to come as we are, being persistent, being real. If prayer is about our relationship with God, God doesn't want us to be formulaic or to stick with polite platitudes. God is inviting us to ask with shameless audacity. Jesus goes on to say in 11 verses 9 to 13, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, so picture yourself, you are a father, and if your son asks for a fish, which of you will give your child a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, which will give them a scorpion? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some people will say, why are you asking God for things? It's such an immature thing to do. Someone with mature faith has moved beyond needing to ask for things from God to simply adoring God and worshiping God. That's what a mature person does. And I think God says to that person, "Uh, nope, you're wrong. God asks us to seek and we will find. To knock and the door will be opened. To seek, to ask, and we will receive. And here Jesus is telling us, when we ask and knock and seek, what is it we receive? The Holy Spirit. Good gifts. Jesus calls us to, Jesus teaches us to call God Father, Abba. And there is a love and an intimacy there as our heavenly daddy, but it isn't just sentimental. Sometimes uh, we've been taught that it's just this, like, it's what babies say, right? And there's a beautiful image, and I think we are to have childlike faith. I think that is important in, in Jesus. But this word isn't just the thing that babies would say. This is the same, this is the Aramaic word, uh, which is, uh, is the similar to the Hebrew word for father that the Jews call God father throughout the Old Testament. It's the same word, the, uh, except in Aramaic and then into Greek. <laughs> um, so there is that, that being a child and childness to it, um, but even more, and in the Old Testament, it was the father was of all, all people of, of Israel. But here Jesus is changing it to making it even more personal and more intimate. A father in their culture was also a provider and a protector, the redeemer, the one on whom the family relied. And so, yes, childlike faith but also trusting that God is provider, protector, redeemer is what is when we say father is built into that. And if a human father longs for their child to come to them with their requests, how much more does our heavenly father, one of perfect and infinite holy love? Some would say, why are you even praying about it? Have you ever heard this? I heard this. In fact, I think this all the time. Are you that self-centered that you're praying for these little things in your life with all of the terrible things that are happening in the world? Your little thing is nothing compared to people being bombed in the Israel-Hamas war are going through. Get some perspective, right? I'm sure many of us have had these thoughts when we are caught up in our small things and we are aware of the great magnitude of pain and hurt in the world. Richard Foster, in his book on prayer, responds to this by saying, Here we must see the Abba heart of God. In one important sense, nothing is more important to him than the anxiety we feel. These are great matters of great magnitude to him because they are matters of great magnitude to us. It is a false humility to stand back and not share our deepest needs. The things that seem big to us may be 
comparison to someone else isn't that big, but the things that seem big to us and are hard for us are big and important to God because they are important to us. God wants us to bring our deepest desires and needs. There is no suffering or a request that is too small for God if it is truly what is on our heart. Now this being said, if while praying you feel conflicted, con, uh, conflicted and convicted that there are bigger problems in the world than your own, perhaps there is a measure of God speaking to you, growing empathy in you and calling you to pray for others, to pray more for others. But if the voice is telling you your, your things don't matter, that isn't God speaking to you. Because God says, yes, bring that to me. Even still, it doesn't change that God wants you to bring everything, even as he changes our hearts to be more empathetic and prayerful for others. Viktor Frankl, who was a, uh, um, a survivor of the Holocaust, who, uh, he, he wrote this. A person's suffering is similar to the behavior of gas. If a certain quality of gas is pumped into an empty chamber, it will fill the chamber completely and evenly, no matter how big the chamber. Thus, suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter where the suffering, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. And I figure if a sufferer of the a survivor of the Holocaust, one who saw many hundreds of people go into gas chambers, if he can affirm that your smaller suffering is still valid, who are us, who are we to say, well, your stuff is too small to pray for? Perspective is good. But God wants us to come to him. It is God's Abba Father's heart that wants us to bring our petitions honestly to God. Another thing that some people will say when your prayers seem not to be answered is you didn't have faith for it. If you have enough faith, true faith, God would have answered yes. So it is your lack of faith which is saying it is your fault. In fact, I just saw that there's a new worship song that just came out that has uh, this Faith For It title. And there are so many reasons, I think, so many external factors and life experiences that impact how much faith and what kind of faith we have. What we are raised to believe, our church traditions, our views on prayer and of God, things that we have seen happen in the church Good things, but also sometimes we've seen terrible things happen from one Christian to another. These things impact our faith. Trauma. A person who has experienced trauma in their lives will have lots of experiences that will make simple faith nearly impossible. God doesn't cause those traumatic things to happen, I don't believe. God doesn't cause evil things to happen to people, to anyone. I don't believe that's God's will. And when someone says to you, well, this is happening because God wants it to happen to you, I think that often is a lie. I think God is with us in it and can redeem it and bring us through it. 
but to say that God is causing terrible things to happen to people because it is God's will, does, I think, is missing God's heart completely. Do you think God looks on someone who's experienced horrific trauma in their lives, things that understandably makes it hard for them to believe that God cares for them or is going to answer their prayers? Do you think God looks on someone in that situation and says, you didn't have faith for it. Too bad, so sad. You didn't have enough faith, I'm not going to help you. Your lack of trust in me is understandable. I get it. But still, I'm going to punitively not listen to you because of it. What kind of God is that? Right? Now, we are called to have faith. And we are called to have more trust than we have. But to blame people because to put the blame on people, I think, is the opposite of what God is calling us to do. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Faith as small as, this is the smallest seed that they knew of at the time. We now know there are smaller ones, but, but anyway, so at the time, so Jesus said the smallest seed they knew, faith as small as that, can, can move a mountain from here to there. Yet interestingly, right before this, Jesus Set, tells them that they weren't, that his disciples weren't able to accomplish something because they had so little faith. It doesn't, you have little faith, but even if you just had a little faith, you could do this big thing, but you couldn't do this thing because you had little faith. But if you had little faith, you could do this big thing, right? There's got to be something else going on here. On a number of occasions, Jesus told the disciples that they had very little faith. Yet God worked all kinds of amazing things through the miracles and lives transformed. As a side note, Jesus said the smallest faith can move mountains. Yet in the history of the world, no mountain has ever been moved by prayer. Have you ever thought about that? So if Jesus meant for us to take it literally and legalistically... No one who has ever believed in Jesus in the history of the world has ever had enough faith. So how God answers prayers cannot simply be a legalistic, formulaic approach to prayer. If it were, then God, I think, wouldn't be God. God would be like a vending machine. that you just If you put in the right amount of money, you get what you ordered. And if you don't have quite enough money, you can maybe get something smaller, something that you didn't really want. Oh, I can afford the uh, corn nuts, but I can't get the O. Henry bar, right? But God is not a thing that we can be manipulate into action by how we pray. God is calling us to greater faith and to come to him, but God is not sitting there judging us and punitively being punitive against us. There has to be something else going on here than a simple mathematical equation of how much faith I have equals how much God will answer my prayers. Now, personally, while I think there is so much mystery to God's work in the world in relation to our prayers of petition, I believe the key, the secret, here's the secret, everyone, is that there is no secret key. 
but simply that God wants a relationship with us to restore us slowly and slowly into deeper relationship with Jesus. That means convicting us and cutting out sin out of our lives, which does impact our faith. But it is about restoring us slowly and slowly, deeper and deeper into relationship with Jesus. That God loves us. God hears us. God wants us to come with all that we are to bring our desires and our wants and our hurts and our longings. And the hope is that as we do, we will slowly be transformed more and more into Christ's likeness. More and more learning to trust God's faithfulness. More and more able to hear the Holy Spirit so that our prayers are more and more formed to be uh, in line with who God is. God does know our needs better than we do and wants us to bring them in prayer. God will not give us something that's bad for us. God will not be punitive against us if we don't do it right. But God will answer our prayers in grace and mercy even if we don't see it. God cares, God hears, God responds with compassion. What that looks like, we don't always know or see, and we may not know uh, until Christ comes again. No matter how many theories we come up with. Now, it's, it's okay to believe a theory. Perhaps the key is not being certain in that theory, not putting all of your hope in a theory of how God's work, not being certain of anything except for God's faithful love. For you, for the world, for creation. Yes, of course God is calling us to greater faith. But greater faith is knowing who we are, each differently in the intersectionality of our experiences, upbringing, and personality. Greater faith not in comparison to others, but a greater faith starting from now, from who you are, from where you are. Closer, growing closer to God, who we are, where we are. That's where God meets with us, and wherever we are, we are invited to bring all of ourselves to God. And God is always faithful. His promises are always yes to be there, to meet with us, to hear us, and to love us. In that place of God meeting us with us where we are, sometimes we'll bring our requests to God confidently and joyously. But sometimes we'll come to God with doubt and anger and disappointment and tears, not seeing, not knowing God's caring action in our lives. Sometimes we will see God's answer to our prayers, and sometimes we won't. As hard as it is, the reality is it is easy to have great faith when we see the miraculous goodness of God. It doesn't, it takes small faith to believe what you see. But it takes great faith to believe what you don't see. The place that requires great faith, the place where our faith grows deeper, is not actually when we taste and see that the Lord is good. But it is actually in the winter of our souls, in the silence of God when we are coming to the end of our rope. And that is so important that we are going to focus on it next week. Uh, Emily is going to uh, speak to us about lament uh, and uh, other forms of this type of petition of brokenness, of not seeing God moving. 
What I think we want to take, what I think we want to take with us today is this confidence that God does, in fact, love us, that God wants us to bring our big and small concerns to Jesus. Petition increases our awareness of our dependency on God, as well as maturing us in this slow growth of decentering ourselves, finding God in our center. Asking God for help breaks down our false sense of pride, control, and our tenacious desire to be independent, not needing anyone or anything. It's an organic, relational growth of time spent bringing ourselves to God, not ashamed of our asking, but confident in God's love and grace to listen and respond. And we see this no more greatly than what we call the Lord's Prayer or that other traditions sometimes call the Lord's, call our, the Our Father. Jesus is the disciples, in the same way that any disciples would ask their rabbi, they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the prayer, which is found here, there's a short form here in 11 that Susanna read for us. And there's a, it's in a longer form in Matthew 6. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples begins and ends with praise, but it is mostly petition. It is a pattern of the kinds of things that we are to ask God for. And it is an affirmation that we are indeed to ask, unashamedly, boldly, confidently, with audacity even. In our current series on prayer, every week we're teaching a prayer practice that can be helpful for focusing and opening ourselves to the presence of God making intentional space to meet with God. And our hope, we know that people aren't going to take all of them and practice all of them. In fact, that's going to be too much. Our hope is simply uh, that you may find one or two that resonate with you that you can uh, take into the months. Uh, If you are interested in seeing some of the other ones, it is on our uh, website. Um, And if you scan the QR code that says uh, more, that's in front of you, the one that says order of worship, Uh, That one, in the order of worship, there's a link that'll take you to it under sermon. Today, we're going to use a contemplative approach to praying the Lord's Prayer. This basic method was developed in the 16th century uh, by the father of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola. That being said, the prayer Jesus taught his disciples has been prayed contemplatively for 1,600 years before that, so he was hardly cutting edge. The basic premise in Ignatius' version is to pray the prayer slowly, taking time to reflect and to listen and contemplate, paying attention, especially to any word or phrase that seems to jump out at you. In this way, it's very much like another prayer practice that we've done called Lectio Divina, divine reading, one where you read a passage of scripture three times, paying attention to words or phrases that jump out at you, listening to what God has to say to you. However, with this practice, you pray through the Lord's Prayer only once, pausing after every word or phrase, as Ignatius says, to find various meanings, comparisons, relish, and consolation in the consideration of it. Now, he doesn't mean you'll find relish, like the condiment that you put on a hamburger, but to relish it, to savor it, to delight in it. Today, we're going to alter it slightly. I'm going to encourage you to engage the prayer through different petitions within it. So after each line, I will give a couple directing thoughts to help and then leave space for you to bring your requests to God in silence. 
So as we begin, if you're comfortable, uh, and if you're not comfortable, you're welcome to just sit there and, and stare at the wall or something. That's okay. But if you're comfortable in doing this with us, I'd invite you to, as comfortably as you can in a pew, position yourself in a way that you can uh, be, remain still for the duration. Quiet yourself inwardly and outwardly. Allow your body to relax. Be aware of your breathing. And if you're comfortable, if it helps, close your eyes. Either that or fix your eyes on a single focus. Invite God to meet with you, asking for the grace to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. And so God, Holy Spirit, we do invite you. You are uh, the great gift that Jesus has given and promised. Our Father, who, are, who is in heaven, our, this is the God who makes community. As we pray, we are not alone in this prayer. And Father, Intimate, loving, providing, sustainer. A father who wants his children to come to him unashamedly. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, to make holy. Worship God in the, the purity, the holiness of his love. <coughs> Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where do you long to see God's will done? When you think about what it looks like when God reigns, are there longings, desires for Jesus to be king in your life or in the world? Lift them to God. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Bread is a symbol of our daily needs. What daily needs do you want God's help with? Food, finances, home, a job, school, health.
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Perhaps there are relationships in your life with people, with God, with creation that are broken because of something perhaps you did or you didn't do. Is there a relational debt that you owe? Ask for God's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Who do we need to forgive? Is there anyone you hold anger towards for something that happened? Ask God for the grace to forgive them, remembering that forgiveness is not the same as trusting them, but it is letting go of the power that they hold over you. Who do you need to forgive? And lead us not into temptation. This word temptation means is the word is, means trials, trying circumstances. Are there trials or trying circumstances that you have anxiety about, that you feel you would not be able to withstand without God's intervention? Talk to God about them. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil can be things that lead us away from God and from others. It can be forces, the enemy, principalities and powers, systems in society that oppress, divide, and humanize. Ask God for protection and deliverance to break down the evil in the systems of the world. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you. You invite us to pray to you, to ask for your help, that you're, you're always faithful. And we do not need to question or doubt your love for us, even when we question or doubt what you are doing in the world. We ask, God, that you would strengthen, grow our faith. And help us to come to you with everything. To know you better and to spend time with you, our Heavenly Father. Amen.